the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. To make a rich, smooth cold brew, Tim Horton steeps 100% Arabica beans for 16 hours. What could be richer than that? Well, uh... How about blending in swirls of sweet Irish cream? Rich enough? Ooh, I guess. Not quite, because Tim Hortons tops that cold brew with the cloud of sweet cold foam. Now, what could be richer than that? Nothing? Exactly. Irish cream cold brew with cold foam now at Tim Hortons. Or try cold foam on any of your Tim Hortons favorites. Modifications extra for a limited time at participating U.S. locations. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.
Welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence radio show with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, bringing together the world's synchronicity experts to help you use meaningful coincidences to develop spiritually, psychologically, and practically. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence into your web browser to find the book, website, Psychology Today blog, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. And now, here is the host of the Connecting with Coincidence radio show, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. Yes, I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and welcome particularly to Vazgan, one of our very loyal listeners, as well as you new listeners. Let me know what you think about this program and how it stimulates you. Today we will talk with a world parapsychologist expert, Etzel Cardenia, about how parapsychology has influenced modern art and human consciousness. I am initiating the Coincidence Project with my colleague, Julia Trail. Our vision is to encourage you to tell your coincidence stories to your friends and your family and to post them on your social media. And here's one just happened to me yesterday involving two of my psychotherapy patients. One was an Asian young woman living in America who wants us all to be anti-racism. She wants us to speak up. She used as an analogy a class in which one student knew that the teacher was giving the wrong math information. If the student did not speak up, then the 40 people in the class would get the wrong information. Like a teacher making a racist comment and no one speaking up. Three hours later, another patient of mine, an American-born student, told me a similar story. During math class, she had figured out a better way to do multiplication than what the teacher had described. She also did not speak up. Two students, two math classes, each finding something wrong with the lesson from the teacher, and neither of them standing up. This is a lesson for all of us, speaking up or the wrong message will be learned. Examining coincidences in this way is part of the art of coincidences. So tell your stories to each other and figure them out. Today, Etzel Cardinia is with us. Etzel was born and raised in Mexico, has advanced degrees in from Canada and U.S. universities, and was a postdoctoral fellow at Stanford. He, he holds the endowed Thornson Chair in Psychology at Lund University in Sweden, one of Europe's top universities, where he directs the Center for Research on Consciousness and Anomalous Psychology. His areas of research include alterations of consciousness and parapsychological phenomena, among other things. He has 350 publications, some in very top journals, and has been covered by the New York Times, the New Yorker, and the BBC. For our discussion today, he's also worked professionally in theater as a director, actor, and playwright, and now is the artistic director of the International Theater of Malmo, Sweden. This is an artistic parapsychologist. Hey, Etzel, welcome to the show. Hi, Bernie. Nice to be with you again. It's great to have you back again. Now, let, let's just to start with parapsychology and particularly psi, why don't you tell our, our audience what 
many of them know, but you're you're such you know so much about psi. Maybe you can tell us what psi is in your own way. Yes, there are three main areas that parapsychology or psychical research or psi they are essentially synonym cover. The first one that is sometimes called ESP or anomalous uh, cognition refers to somehow being affected by something that happens at a distance, whether geographically, spatially, or temporally. So, for instance, you may um, have a dream about a friend you hadn't seen in years, and you had not dreamt about that friend in all of this time, uh, as far as you can remember, and then, lo and behold, the coming day, you have an email from her or him. So this would seem to somehow show that something that is happening in a different place or at another time is affecting your consciousness. So that is what, what is known as ESP or anomalous cognition. And it can refer also to knowing things that are going to happen in the future. Uh, and of course, you would have a number of those in the psychotherapy context. Uh, you were talking at the beginning of the program about how these matters seem to somehow travel through you and to other patients and clients. And that is something that I have written about and that I'm interested. My father was a psychoanalyst and he described a number of these unusual effects. And since we are talking about art, artists have talked that the same thing happens. Let, 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 me pause for, let me pause for a minute there because I, I want to get, there's so much art to talk about, but I'm intrigued that you listened to my stories at the beginning and were able to compare them to your own research, which I didn't know about. So there I was in the middle of that, uh, that pair, three hours apart, I'm in the middle, and somehow you were saying I carried something there. How, what, what, are you talking, what are you talking about there? Well, we do not have, I think, a good way of talking about these matters. Uh, I do not think it is a matter of carrying any kind of electromagnetic waves or telepathic waves. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, is, it doesn't work that way because the information seems to somehow affect another person, even if that person is in a circumstance in which electromagnetic waves would be blocked. So yeah. it is not that way. But somehow you are being affected. And I have similar examples from as a teacher, where all of a sudden I, uh, and I mentioned this in a, in a publication, I, uh, an idea comes to me as I am lecturing on something I have talked about before, and I give an example using a company that I had never talked about before, and say, well, if you went to, let's say, interview for, to Tetra Pak, and you said that you heard voices, you would not be hired. And then at the end of the class, a student comes to me and says, well, how did you know that happened to my friend? And uh -huh. my reply was, of course, <laughs> I had no idea. Now, this is such an important thing you're saying there, because I've heard a number of stories like that in which the, the teacher, we'll call it a speaker, can be in a conference, mm -hmm. is saying something that the person, someone in the audience is also thinking. And that suggests to me that there is a group mind created at least mm -hmm. temporarily in that setting where information gets transferred through this group mind in ways we have yet to understand. Correct. Yeah, that somehow... We are porous, we are open, uh, even though in the West we tend to think of, of humans as being 
individual beings, there are other traditions and data from research that would just say, no, that's not how it is. And, that, and it happens in a number of contexts. And the classroom uh, is a major place in which these things happen. Yes. And I'm sure that we do not hear a lot more because just students will rarely come and tell you, well, I'll come. <laughs> you precisely talked about that example uh, that I was thinking of and yeah. just I was getting distracted. So. Yeah, and how, how how do you think how do you conceptualize my being in between a young woman uh, talking to me by telepsychiatry from Hong Kong and the other woman talking with me by telepsychiatry from Virginia? Well, how, how do you do that one? Because in a number of models, what you have is a proposal that, for example, in a hypergeometric model of reality where there are more dimensions than the three spatial ones. There may be one in which what seems to be far away is not far away. It is all contiguous uh -huh. and, or interconnected. So uh -huh. just because we are only able to perceive three special dimensions, it does not mean that that is all there is to, to how the world functions. And this is an insight that doesn't come only from, let's say, tradition, spiritual traditions. It comes from the interpretation of quantum phenomena from a number of interpreters. Uh, I quote um, Max Delbruck, Nobel Prize winner, and uh, Despagnat, very eminent quantum physicist, that are saying, well, the implication of quantum mechanics is that there is no longer an object, or by object meaning being separate beings or pieces of matter, but we are all interconnected and the distance does not matter. I'm most, fa I'm most fascinated, in, fascinated with this term interconnected because I'm trying to map out the methods or the, or the, or the geography of this con interconnectedness, which still may be a problematic three-dimensional way of thinking about things. Yes. I, I understand that. Uh, I hypothesize something called a psychosphere, uh, our mental atmosphere that we are all immersed in this mental atmosphere uh, on Earth. It's not anything greater than Earth in the way I'm thinking about it. And yeah, although, that, although I would say probably, it, uh, I would add that in this case, as in most, it has more to do with emotions. Yes. It is, you are somehow, you ended up perhaps being the, the mediator because clients have a strong emotional attachment to you as therapist. Yes. So what is binding you is probably not conceptual issues of, um, yes, we're all interested in, I do not know, uh, in uh, trigonometry or whatever. It is more an emotional link that says, this is an important person to me and you important person are important to someone else. And then this little group gets created. And I think it ends up being that way, because otherwise you might say, yes, theoretically, we are all interconnected with everybody else. But the emotions make the big difference. And I yes. so strongly agree with you. And intention does as well. We've come to the end of this first segment. Uh, this is Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. And we are speaking with Etzel Cardenia, the director of the Center for Research on Consciousness and Anomalous Psychology.
How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. Path Home Shamanic Art School has just launched a new online series of classes, Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow. In these classes, composed and taught by Path Home founder and director Gwilda Wiecka, you'll learn practical shamanic skills to support your daily life, such as how to build a medicine wheel to access the power of the earth, perform a shamanic journey, create sacred space in which to live and work, empower your life with totem animals, elementals, and fairy folk, and learn the art of accurately reading signs and omens. These tried and true skills are the key to living a powerful, productive life. Visit us at findyourpathhome.com to see the ever-growing collection of classes and leading-edge information to support you during these times of uncertainty and transition. All can be found at findyourpathhome.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to CC with BB. I am her host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We're speaking with Etzel Cardenia, Director of the Center for Research on Consciousness and Anomalous Psychology at Sweden's Lund University. Etzel, we only did a third of what we were talking about as Paris of size, so please continue. Yes, and actually I'm not going to start with the second third because I want to continue talking a bit about that first third, the notion of anomalous uh, cognition interconnectedness 
because there are a lot of fascinating links to art. In a paper that will be coming out very soon, uh, I talk about what might be called a collective sci-art. And ah. this is the idea that uh -huh. was particularly explored by the surrealists during the 20th century, that you could create a sort of collective artistic mind. Wow. And that that's, if you right started, up, that's right yeah. up my line. And well, let's, yeah. let's talk about the surrealists for a minute, for, the, for those who don't uh, under Salvador Dali might be a, the most prominent example. But tell us a little bit about surrealism in the 20s and so. Sure. Well, yes, Dali and uh, a number of other people, André Breton was the leader. He was the intellectual leader, but there were a number of other important uh, painters, Remedios Baro, Lenora Carrington, who were working on that. But one of the important issues is that the surrealists have been interpreted as mostly dealing with the unconscious a la Freud. Uh -huh. That is, with being interested in dreams. Oh, yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. Which they were interested. Yeah. But also, if you read papers by Breton, he was simultaneously saying that they were also very committed to exploring another kind of unconscious the kind of unconscious that Myers and William James talked about, let's say yeah. a transpersonal unconscious, the notion that we are unconsciously receiving information and we are interconnected with other people. So that was part of what they were doing. They were not only looking at my personal symbology in dreams and the sexual symbols, that was only some aspect of it. But the other one was somehow how are we interconnected so for example they invented a number of games which are generally known as the exquisite corpse games they are chain games where for example uh we agree that i am going to start with a noun and then you will come up with an adjective and somebody will come up with a verb and so out of any nouns i start thinking something that is not obvious and I come with a noun, and then you come up with, without knowing what is my noun, you come up with an adjective, and then somebody else comes up with uh, a compliment, and then at the end, you put it all together. And the idea of the exclusive corpse came from one of those games where one person first came with, well, in French, it would be uh, le corps, the, the body, and then the second one was exquisite. And they said, well, this is an extraordinary association that if any single person had thought about, would not have come about with. And the association was exquisite corpse? Corpse, yes. Corpse. Yeah, okay. They, you know, coming up with poetic ideas yeah. that were not rationally derived, that were not coming from, well, I know what you said, then I will try to come up with an association. No, because you did not know what I had done what I had said. And right. so they, they would create, Breton and Paul, for example, wrote a whole novel where one person would write a passage and not show it to the second person who would write then a continuing passage. And then it would come back to me and I would not know what you had written. And then they said, well, there look to be a number of correspondences that are meaningful, even though consciously we do not know what the other person wrote about. Yeah. So if you follow me, that is not, that is 
going beyond the notion about the personal unconscious, and it is, in a sense, talking about some kind of shared mind. Yes. So yes. This... And being, being able to show evidence for it is what they're being able to do, and, and then use it as a creative cauldron. Correct. Yes. And a number of other artists have done that. Uh, very famous one, Susan Hiller, who had a, gr a major exhibit in one of the most important museums in the UK, perhaps the most important modern museum, the Tate. Yeah. yeah what yeah. she would do was would talk to her community of artistic friends and says, well, let's have, I will send some, think about some kind of object, and everyone tries to draw what you think I am sending. And then they will come up with a drawing together. Or even more closely to the idea, they she would say, well, let's all dream in a group. Each one in a different place without talking to each other. Let's try to come up with some kind of interconnected dream. What is that? What is an interconnected dream? Well, it is a it is a dream in which if I, my dream may have something to do with yours once we talk about it. Yeah. Even though before we haven't said what we have been thinking about. Uh-huh. And, and there, so, are, there are dream or groups that have gotten together with having somebody have an object. And this has been done other ways, too. Uh, yes. And painting the object and see if people dream about it. But this is more Correct. creative than Correct. that. Yes, it is, in a sense, try to have a communal type of dream and then instead of trying sort of to test it well did you get that or not it is let's see if we are somehow dreaming about similar things and then once everybody has dreamt i collect reports from everybody and let's see if there are some commonalities and let's see if we can make something out of it correct uh, and this was an artistic performance event it's an artistic performance i love the outcome wanting to get an outcome out of it uh, rather Correct. than just so, see it yeah yeah it's not a love experiment you know she yeah. was trying to correlate or see what the correspondences were but she's yeah. bringing it into the realm of art yeah that's wonderful and a number of other uh, artists for example marina abramovich who is a very famous performance artist had a romantic and artistic partner for a long time and she would say that uh, times they were just doing things somewhat telepathically. What did she mean? Well, that somehow the other person would know what to do. Something that wasn't obvious, that wasn't recent, that was unexpected, that they would come perhaps with a similar kind of ideas. And again, this is these are not experiments. But this real life it, enactments. Are you saying they did it during a, a performance, this telepathic communication? No, it was more what Marina Abramovich was talking about more was in the creation of what they were going to do next. Oh, 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 oh. so they were each working on their next performance. Correct. And then like with your dreaming, coming up each on its own for uh, what to add to it. Like, uh, I mean, you've been saying almost the same thing in wonderfully different contexts uh, where mm -hmm. people are joining together without thinking about what they're doing and just seeing what comes up that might fit together. And I then think... somehow things seem to, to correspond with each other and they are not obvious associations. And they're not such obvious associations. Uh, at uh, least that's how they experience it. So, yes. And, and yesterday I sent out an invitation to two people uh, to join me 
uh, in creating a, a, a working group, whatever we call it, a fun group, it's going to be more than just work, uh, to imagine the coincidence project, the vision of which is mm-hmm. to have people tell stories like we're talking about with each other. And so one person uh, that I invited came back right away, and the other person sent me an email, and, but it wasn't about what I'd ask. It was about the future of the world that mm-hmm. he was imagining, not the future of the coincidence project. And the timing of it was right when I had sent him, right after I'd sent him the email inviting him to the coincidence project. So mm-hmm. there was some way in which he was tuning in to us, but it was an indirect way rather than responding mm-hmm. directly. Yes, and I think a lot of these phenomena, that's how they happen. Uh, and that is why, for instance, one of the uh, the 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 effects that one finds in laboratory experiments are not that large because we're trying to somehow rationally control the phenomena and make it happen on demand on a particular time at a particular place. And when we do these studies, we do find evidence for psi. It is from control experiment, but you know that's not how this phenomena happens in real life. It tends to be more like well, I haven't been thinking of somebody for a long time. Suddenly I think about her and boom, next day, email. Yeah. And, and uh, you can't, we can't control for that. <clears throat> but I'm developing ideas about the situations that increase the probability of parapsychological, of what I'll call coincident events. And emotion is so critical in all of them. And I'll tell you, uh, if you talked about my theater, my, my theater background, and a lot of this, some of the strongest of this, what might be side phenomena, occurred to me while doing very intense group in a, very intense theater work in a group yeah. where we are very emotionally connected. We are doing such strenuous physical activity, emotions are raw, and then somehow you, there is a strong link and then I could say you know, at different times, okay I know that you were I felt that you were yesterday doing this and it is right on the spot and it was not something easily derivable. Now we're but, coming to the end uh, of this segment and uh, I have parallel experiences at dance I do a, a, a free form dance, it's kind of do, do what you want, it kind of dances uh-huh. it has various different names and um I, it's a it's a it's an environment in which I'm testing out some of the same things you're talking about. We'll continue with that next time. Uh, you're talking with this. Uh, this is connecting with coincidence. Uh, connecting with coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We are speaking with Etzel Cardenia, director of the Center for Geico. asks, How would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV, even help with homeowners or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. For research and consciousness.
Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you considering calling a psychic to read your situation? Then consider David Champion, a psychic medium for more than 20 years with thousands of readings under his belt. David Champion will make you feel comfortable. He has proven to be honest and accurate. He's a straight shooter. There's no guesswork. What he sees is what you get. While he is a medium, most of the calls focus on relationships. Not only love, but work, school, neighbors, and more. Need help with finding a job and preparing for the interview? Are you dealing with people who are obstacles in your path? For more information, go to davidchampion.com. $1.50 per minute, paid by credit card, with a minimum of 30 minutes. For your reading with David Champion, call one 702 8598 That's one 702 8598 Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Welcome back. Welcome back to CC with BB. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We're speaking with Etzel Cardenia, and boy, we're getting into some nice stuff. The group mind, Etzel. You were talking about what happens with you and others when you're doing artistic work, and when you're when the emotions are high, you're tuning into each other. It's a lot like jazz improvisation, and yeah. and I w- I was telling I was telling you that. I do dance improvisation of various kinds, and I love the group mind that forms. And I have missed it with the with the with the virus stopping us getting together. But last Saturday, I went to the park, and we did some dancing together. And it was so great to be back in that whatever it is that consciousness that's created by people improvis- improvising together. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Um, and, you know, I think psi probably occurs, you know, we typically tend to underline the most dramatic things. When somebody dies, you were not expecting it, but you suddenly had a sense that something very important had happened to that person. Yes, we have many reports like that throughout history, but probably it also happens in just smaller things when people come up with the same movement, the same rhythm, the same riff, whatever it is, while playing jazz. And some of it may be just logical, predictable sequence from what they're doing, but sometimes it is not. Sometimes, sometimes I thought if there was someone I wanted to get a dance with, I could telepathically ask them to come a little closer and it would happen. Yeah, well, good luck, because I don't think, well, unless you become very good at it, and that's what magicians think, that they can become very good at it and control it, I think it happens more like it just occurs when there is something very strong, unexpected, and it lasts for a certain while, and you cannot maintain it beyond their length. No, it, ha so, it, 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 you have to be able to do it at a time when it might be possible. Absolutely. I'll raise you one example. Good. Uh, it happened to me years ago, and it was as part of a theater workshop uh, we were doing with uh, a very important theater theoretician and director, Jerzy Grotowski from Poland. He came to work with our group in Mexico, and we were doing, you know, sort of sensitivity kind of exercises. We had we we were blindfolded, and we're moving around on very very large space. And I remember as we are doing this, uh, these different types of uh, improvisation movements and so on, that we do it the first time and then we, we lift the blindfolds. And I was just very close in front of the person, a woman whom I had never met. And I said, okay, that's fine. And then we do all the things and there were dozens of us moving all around in a very large space that was both indoors and outdoors. Uh, moving all around in many different places and again there comes a time when we leave the blindfolds and who is exactly in front of me the same person <laughs> and I am sure that she was not following me and I was not following her there was no way you were just going in between bodies crawling going under <laughs> going above and this happens three or not only two times this happened three or four times oh wow and so I said, well, I don't know what it is. I never even knew her name, never saw her again. Mm -hmm. But I thought somehow, in some way, and there was no detectable colonial perfume or anything like that, but I thought in some way for these sets of exercises, we linked. You linked. And how do you understand that, Etzel? How do you understand that link? Well, uh, for some reason unconsciously I was perceiving something that was common that I liked and she was doing the same uh, and that's what it was and it wasn't even a matter of knowing someone because I had a number of friends there that I had connections with yeah but here it was who knows what I never spoke to her we never crossed across the word and yet we did interact and communicate so deeply repeatedly during that set of exercises. And what was your feeling towards her, if you can say there was one? Uh, well, I, I felt, yes, it's you. You know, After the second time and more the third, I said, yes, we are. 
we we sense move somehow in a similar way there must be something that is in common with us that was it you know i did not think oh no, fe no feeling no, like that. that was that's all cognitive what you just said but movement like that is very emotional mm -hmm. as well so you what you just said was cognitive i'm su i'm suggesting that there was some emotion between the two of you that was only there on the floor when the when you're moving yeah. but it was an emotion and i'm asking you to see well, and i would describe. say even before emotion it was a somatic a bodily kind of intelligence if you will a body kind of sense of internal sense that is not the typical senses that we know. It wasn't smell, it wasn't touch, but it was another kind. And, and, and we said, yes, we and, connect. And, and I'm asking you once again to tell me the emotion that might, the, of some form, well, you've gotten closer other, it, with body. Yeah. No, it wasn't any more. There wasn't any more, anything more. Other than, if you will, the, yes, there is... Well, of course, if you want to say it, it was it was joyful to know there is a connection, there is a link with someone yeah. that goes beyond just something that is expectable, rational. It is a, a great surprise. Well, I, I ask you that Glorious because 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 I, I went to a workshop in British Columbia, and the first person at the first time we did any movement together came we were to pair up at the beginning and one woman comes out and pairs up with me and i i really liked the way she looked and i liked the way she moved and so we paired up and it was a five and a half five half day workshop and over that period of time we interacted with each other not verbally uh, but somehow interacted in a way something sounding like what was going on with you and then uh, at toward the end uh, I was outside and she walked by and I said I was making up a story about you to her mm -hmm. uh, and she says oh wow I love stories and I said and the story includes me and I was telling her that I thought we were interacting through this whole period of time. And I thought maybe it was something with me. I just want to check out whether it was just about me because I get caught up like that sometimes. I want to do the research. And she says, oh, I was making up a story about you. Oh. Mm -hmm. And that helped confirm that something and the feeling between us was a beautiful feeling. It was a form of love that I would call. And it was a form of love that lasted on the dance floor. And we coincidentally ran into each other outside the dance floor. And we were able to exchange some feelings with each other, just being together and a hug. And that was the last time I ever saw her. Mm-hmm. Well, yours is a longer version, if you will, and a more if you a cognitive and talking about it and so on. Mine was a much more succinct example and one that even did not go through doing an activity together because as we were moving and crawling of all over dozens of bodies, yeah. we were not paired in any way. It yeah. just somehow happened that we ended up being paired. Well, we were only paired at the beginning. After that, mm -hmm. there was okay. no pairing, uh, except in my mind, I thought. Mm -hmm. but, it, but it wasn't just in my mind, it turned out to be.
And that's why I ask her that question. But it's a it's a somewhat different, but that it's forming a connection in a free flowing atmosphere where there is no big structure except to interact with each other according to the instructor, and then mm-hmm. s- see what happens. But somehow these links happen, and they they are emotional, and that's why I was asking you about emotion. And I call it love because I love love. I just mm-hmm. love loving it's just a nice thing and there's so many variations about it and some are just very temporary and they just pass for Mm -hmm. in 10 minutes they can pass it in in an hour just and yours was a short period of time of something as it was with the person that i was doing that with in british columbia yes it's part of a it's a group mind that facilitates something uh, and it's a creative creativity that I think is wonderfully inherent in the human being. And you're you're telling me that other people experience this. I think it's wonderful. Yes, and I think uh, since we are talking about art, that it is more likely to happen in circumstances that are open, such as creating an artistic event where people do not have. Uh, something that uh, paths that are already traced, but they are having to come up with something new. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they may be strong emotions being raised, brought forth, emotional and sometimes erotic as well. Links, uh, you know, certainly the surrealists were uh, sort of mixing all kinds of uh, desires and emotions and even ideas all over the place. And some of them were not the most constructive, but some of them <laughs> remain very interesting to follow through and I think some artists later on have continued having that kind of openness to saying well yes we interact we exchange ideas but there may be another kind of link that is occurring when we are very close by there's a there's a have you familiar with the serendipity society Uh, no it's a European thing mostly and it's 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 academic and uh, they, I went to their first meeting in London uh, in September uh, last year. And uh, in the next segment, I'll tell you more about it because one of the researchers is doing serendipity and art in a way that I think you might find interesting. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We are speaking with Etzel Cardenia, who directs the Center for Research on Consciousness and Anomalous Psychology at Sweden's Lund University. evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality is formulated from zoolite whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit vitalityhappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME.
What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genex provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. ancients knew what we have forgotten. In order to be empowered by nature, one must be aligned with the way life works. We've become increasingly disconnected from the earth and her cycles to our extreme detriment. The medicine wheel ceremony is an ancient rite practiced by shaman worldwide to recalibrate their people with the powers of the universe. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, at the Galactic Shamanism Retreat this spring equinox, March 18th through the 22nd, in the beautiful Colorado mountains. During this life-changing three-day medicine wheel training, you'll learn to build and maintain your own cross-cultural shamanic medicine wheel to promote manifestation, health, and personal power. Empower yourself with the wisdom of the ancients. Contact TouchIn at findyourpathhome.com or call 303-775-3431. Welcome back to CC with BB. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We're speaking with Etzel Cardenia and artistic things and sigh. And at the end of the last segment, I was mentioning the Serendipity Society and one of the one of the researchers in the Serendipity Society puts a camera uh, on a, an artist as he is painting and catches the details by which he uses serendipity to come up with new visual forms. Hmm. And you might be interested in that if you want to, if you, uh, I'll send you a link to her thing. Yeah, it's very, it's you. very, it's very researchy. I mean, they're trying to bring serendipity into the, into academics and uh, I'm trying to add a little bit more parapsychological things to their thinking. So, mm-hmm. uh, It'd be nice to have you make a little contact. And it's, yeah, yeah, European and yeah. Anyway, so you please. We're going to talk more about um, art and uh, parapsychology. Go ahead, please. Yes, thank you. And I just wanted to finally end with my definition of psi because I have been talking about ESP or anomalous cognition. The yeah. two other things uh, are what would be called anomalous force or perturbation, or what is called psychokinesis or telekinesis. You know, the notion that you can somehow just directly through your intention affect an object, whether it is microscopically such as a system, a subatomic system that is uh, churning out random numbers, or whether you can affect something larger like a photographic plate. So the second part has to do with what is called psychokinesis research. 
And finally, the third aspect is to look at the possibility of survival. And please note that I'm saying the possibility of survival because even when there is information that seems to come from a deceased individual that would not be easily accessible, that would not be easily derivable from anybody's behavior, such as a medium giving you information about a long lost uncle that you did not even know, and then you go and check it and it is accurate, even then we cannot even be sure that it is a deceased person or somehow the medium was able to get the information from someone who is alive. But nonetheless, this is the third part of research, of side research, somehow looking at the possibility of whether some type of information may be coming from people who are no longer alive. So those are the three main areas. Now, uh, I also wanted to talk a bit about individual using Sai as an art, art object. And here I have a great quotation by Czech artist from uh, the beginning of the last century, Kupka. And I have this quotation here. It says, the artist could then make visible for the beholder the film of his rich, subjective inner world, making unnecessary the current labor of producing a painting or a sculpture. And his idea was generally that in the future, we became a lot better at this. Instead of a painter having to paint something, the painter would just transmit something directly to the audience. And you would have that image. Wow. Now, wow. Yeah. And he's not the only one who had that idea. Susan Hiller, whom I told you was a very important artist, said the same thing. The most adventurous form of art is direct mind-to-mind -mind transmission of images and ideas. Oh, wow. Now, we are not even remotely close to, to having anything re close to that where somebody could send you that kind of information. But before you say there is nothing to it, I would send you to the research on what is called remote viewing, where a person may end up going to a different place that is chosen by random, that is not predictable, that may be very different from what would be expectable. And then somebody in another place is drawing the situation or the place that the first person is in, the geographic uh, distance, location, the buildings around, etc. So that is not exactly transmitting an artistic object, but it is also in principle not that far away. So you know, some people have said, some artists have said, well, let's take this idea and play with it. Mm -hmm. um, so there was in the late 60s, of course the 60s, there were a number of artists who said, well, you know, my, my art object is going to be thoughts and emotions that I will have. So you go into my exhibit and there is nothing in the room, but you have to try to get the kind of emotion and thought I had. And then when you come out of the gallery, you will have the answer of what I was trying to transmit. Uh, it's, it's something like um, having a, a, a geography or, or physical object hold an impression of what's been there before? Uh, well, not exactly, but because here the artist is saying there is no location. It's all in my mind. And uh, so the what, isn't the person going into a room to experience that? Yes, but the, the object was, was never in the room. 
its object was never in the room. It's, it's only in the mind of the artist. We are talking so, about two different things. Remote viewing is closer to what you were talking about just now. I'm talking, well, I'm, there's a name for it where you touch an object and you can feel yes. the past history of it. Yes, that is called uh, retrocognition or psychometry. Psychometry, yeah, that's what I mean. Because uh, yes. because uh, I, I I was in British Columbia I was standing on a on the beach over a cliff um, uh, doing some kind of chanting that I never had done before and I would think I was picking up the vibration of uh, previous inhabitants of that island from thousands of years ago. Yes, and uh, maybe you were maybe you were imagining it completely or maybe it was a mixture of both. It has to be a mixture. These uh, this things, I think, psychology is not something, our mind is not something that you can divide very neatly and close it. <laughs> well, this was psi and this was not psi. Uh, I think probably it is just a combination like dreams. Yeah. Even in a precognitive dream, and I had a recently a very, very striking one. It was, I would say, very accurate in its gist. But it also had a mixture of my own psychology, of my norm, or my own insecurity. Yeah, it has to. Yeah. So it is not only that. There is not a hundred percent pure, clean side <laughs> object. The it's same. And that's probably it's, also why these kind of telepathic art objects are not going to exactly work as artists believe they will, because you know, unless maybe they were. Super Zen masters communicating with Super Zen masters who could somehow clean out all of their associations and expectations and worries and all of that. Unless that were the case, uh, even if you somehow are affected by what I'm thinking, that is going to be cushioned, reshaped, reformed, recreated by your own mental detritus and longings and desires and creativity and it all ends up being part of that big mixture that like, was that was extremely well said that's all that <laughs> was extremely well said so succinct and so clear about how our minds influence what comes into us yes well it may be because i have had my my wife prepare me some extraordinary extraordinarily delicious salads recently so <laughs> i had a good image <laughs> of, of how all somehow can get together from little bits and pieces and come up with a real first class, <laughs> very nutritious event. Yes, you did. <laughs> how how well how well in the artist's per, per perspective? How well did the artist succeed? Let me say in conveying an image to it's the other people, the people who are viewing this mental image. I Yes, I, I don't think that there has been any obvious uh, successful event, you know, partly because these are large groups. So um, let's say in the case of Susan Hiller's work, when she's saying, well, let's all dream together somehow. What I would expect is that some people may indeed connect to her well, other people may dream about the fight they had with their mates that day, or whether they were in an automobile, close to being in an automobile accident, or they may dream about their frustrations. So, you know, it's going to be a whole blur of different uh, people having their motivations and wishes and desires. And you're not going to come up, I think, with something that is very specific, unless, again, if we come to the first session, 
you are perhaps working very intensely in a group where you have been doing that for a long time and you somehow create that nexus that occurs in that group. Yeah, and I think you're, you're establishing what I like to call, not quantum physics, tunnels between minds. And these tunnels are a function of emotion and intention. And the more you emote and the more you intend to connect, the more likely you will. And these are temporary things. They can they can come and go, except for people who have been together a long time. And then they're, they stay connected, more likely, hard to break those up. Mm -hmm. And I think another thinking about it, you know, as we are going back and forth, uh, what happens in art that doesn't happen in typical ordinary life is that you're trying to avoid cliches. So if there is something new really coming from some other place, it's more likely to happen if you are searching and open for things that are not just the same, how it's, things are said or spoken. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're coming to the end of our show, Etzel. And, and my ways of saying increasing the likelihood is high emotion, life challenges or transitions and need and these are very similar to what you have said increase the likelihood of parapsychological or what i'm calling generally coincidence events etzel has been a pleasure to have you on the show really same thing thanks bernard now thanks for being with us etzel you've been listening to connecting with coincidence i'm your host dr bernie Beitman, md this is the exxon broadcast network 